you know, life and death is happening around us. And mm-hmm. when, you know, when Tony passed away, mm-hmm. it made me want to highlight even more. Like, why are we here? So the questions that we were asking ourselves during COVID, I feel, mm-hmm. like really exacerbated that. You know, like, like what? How am I spending my minutes of my time? Get ready for brilliant people, brilliant ideas, and a regular good time. This is Brilliant Thoughts with Success People editor Tristan Almada, the show that thinks about how personalities, relationships, and communication shape business success. And now here he is, Tristan Almada. You've probably heard of Zappos. And if you heard of Zappos, you've probably heard of Jen Lim. If you haven't, pay attention. She was an influential consultant for them during their big growth years. Then she took the lead in launching Delivering Happiness. It's a book by the Zappos founder, Tony Shea. And they grew that into a company that Jen runs today. You may want to take a look at that book. Now, she's out with a new book called Beyond Happiness. This new book is all about re-examining the way we work as a company. We work together with teams and just all around creating happiness. I asked Jen about that and a lot more. It was a fun in very, very informative podcast. So here we go on this one. Welcome back to another episode of Brilliant Thoughts of Success podcast. And today I've got Jen Lynch. She's got a great book out called Beyond Happiness. And I mean, we're already having fun and we haven't even started yet. Jen, welcome <laughs> to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Well, thanks for being on. And, you know, I was telling you before, I picked up your book and I thought it's going to be a good read. I can get this done quick and <laughs> there's nothing wrong with that. But I was like, oh, crap, I need to slow down because it's a manual and I love it. So now I'm having to go back. I've already had these highlighted sections that I have to do things on. There's exercises. <laughs> so congratulations on that. It's a very, very, very good book. Great job. Thank you so much. Yeah, uh, I definitely wanted it to, to be beyond um, theoretical and conceptual. Uh, I think it really is important to me uh, for people to understand the how, like, because we can talk in circles all day about like what we're supposed to do, what we're supposed to think and how we're supposed to be success- successful in life. And for me, it's just like, like peppering in the stories with how you actually do it in, in life uh, was really important to me. So thanks for pointing that out. And thanks for taking your time on it. <laughs> yeah. to actually read through it. Very well done. And you have a lot of experience with that. So I want to just start off by asking you with, with coming out of where we're at and then jumping right back into it, COVID, right? <laughs> it yeah. feels like it's a never ending loop. Uh, you yeah. You mentioned some things, which is, uh, mainly adaptability mm-hmm. and you go into how we're in, we're in a situation and you use great acronyms, by the way, and I wrote these down, uh, V U C A. And I would assume it's VUCA or VUSA mm-hmm. VUCA, and mm-hmm. FUD. All right. I'm going to go to, to VUCA first because it's part mm-hmm. of the adaptability VUCA. You say is volatility, uncertainty, complexity, and ambiguity. 
Mm-hmm. How how does that play into the world that we're in right now? How does mm-hmm. it affect us? Yeah, so VUCA, it's been a term that's been around, I think, in different ways. And where we are now, uh, it just kind of put it in everyone's faces of those basically conditions of what we're living in today. So the whole thing about that is just like being able to like be aware that we knew that VUCA was always going to be able to like happen at any time. And it just happened very strongly with all these different things like between pandemic, recession, uh, you know, social unrest, uh, economic instability around the world and divisiveness of where we are in life. And it all happened at one time in 2020. So VUCA is really important for me to just say like, this is a condition that we were expecting in some ways. We just did not expect it all in the same year. So it's kind of like setting the premise of like, hey, this is a, a, a new world that we live in. Uh, can we accept that or not to be able to move forward along with right. HUD? Uh, and, and then FUD. Tell me about FUD because that's fear, uncertainty, mm-hmm. and doubt. And I think that that's just like the essence of the world that we live in right now, right? In, uh, on the negative side of it. Right, exactly. Uh, I think a big thing, and the irony of it, it's like, you know, I come from, uh, uh, you know, collaborating on a book with Tony Shea on delivering happiness. And, you know, happiness conveys a certain, a certain kind of uh, energy in terms of what we think about that. But the reality is being able to be truly authentically and sustainably happy is to understand that there's the other side of it. So there's the highs and the lows. And the lows of that, I think, is where, like, VUCA is the conditions and the environment that we live in. FUD is the psychological state that we're in. So it brings it back to people. You know, like, how do we feel sometimes? Like, fear, uncertainty, and doubt. Like, did we, um, did our company lose tons of money in 2020? Did I lose, you know, a parent or a friend or something during COVID, uh, you know, those things just bring us into a psychological question, you know, sometimes a spiral or sometimes of an elevation, but the fear, uncertainty, and doubt brings it back to ourselves as human beings. What's our, I can call it FUD factor. What's our FUD factor that VUCA, you know, the environment provides because that's what it is and we can't control it. But what's our internal FUD factor that we're digesting and synthesizing from it? So I think that's the biggest differentiation from those acronyms abound. <laughs> I external love it. Yeah. and internal. You did have a lot of great acronyms on there. So I circled those. <laughs> I was like, those are, those are good. Nice. I love the explanation there. And FUD factor is important. So can you tell me how... How that and that translates to what you were saying, which is understanding that we have two sides to this, right? There's that side. And then there's the other side, which I think your book focuses on really well, which is beyond happiness. What does that look like? I mean, and where do we start? And is it connected to our everyday work with our life? 
it's that combination, right? And a, a lot of yeah. people struggle with where do where do I start when I'm when I'm not in the best place, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So where would you suggest that that somebody look for to to begin this journey that you take them through? Yeah. So. Thank you for these thoughtful questions, by the way. Uh, (laughs) Thanks for actually like reading the book. Um, So there's this thing of just uh, like coming from this place of what we were before in terms of delivering happiness and where we are now. The thing that we've learned most, uh, especially in the last 10 years and then accelerated and heightened and spotlighted in the last few, like year and a half, basically the start, like, so to answer your question before, it was just like, where does this all play? Like everything plays at all one time. Like all these conditions are happening, but where we start comes from us as individuals. So we say, start with the me, uh, because at the end of the day, so that we uh, use a metaphor in the book, uh, nurture your greenhouse as you grow others. The big thing about that is that we all have a tendency, most of us have a tendency to try and take care of others. What's your solution? Like, how can I help you? You know, we all want to help in some way. And then we forget about our own greenhouse. So that's why we're really big on starting with the me. And nurturing your own greenhouse is really understanding your own highs and lows. Because coming from the happiness field uh, and industry, there's a bigger thing here and you can call it what you want, you know, like it's mental health. You know, we've seen it in the Olympics. We've seen it in, in many people calling it out just as it is. We see it in business just saying, uh, you know, I can't do this anymore because of X, mm-hmm. Y, and Z. That whole thing about being more real and holistic mm-hmm. and acknowledging and accepting that being super true to yourself starting with the me actually has to be coming from the acknowledgement of not just what we're really good at, you know, as Mm -hmm. successful human beings, Mm -hmm. but what we're not good at. And that delves into not just skills and performance. It delves into where we are in our own like psychological state and psyche, you know, like, in the book, I touch upon things of like what happened to us in the past that as maybe we were kids or, you know, we're growing up and, you know, the traumas. Um, and I, I use that word and I want to make sure that it's like positioned in the right way because sometimes people hear trauma and they're like, oh, I never had trauma. You know, I'm good. Like I was born in a decent place. I had good parents and or whatever, but mm-hmm our body takes in all these types of things. And when I use trauma, it can be psychological. It can be physical. Like who knows? Like, uh, so for me, as an example, when I was a little (laughs) idiot, (laughs) little girl, I put my hand Mm -hmm. on an iron and it was hot. And for me, I was like, well, that's a hot iron. Like I cannot (laughs) do that again. That really hurt. That's funny. And something like that to me is like one small example of what a trauma can be. So my whole point about that is just we all have different traumas in life. And to be able to accept it and digest it and think about like, what are we scared of? 
what are we shameful of? Um, you know, like the whole like f- fight, flight, uh, and flee, um, and shame, and cry for help. These are all very basic, you know, primal things that we go through in life mm-hmm. that sometimes as adults we forget. And again, it comes in very different forms, but that's why it's so important to go back to the me. Because unless we go back into that deep dive of what we have gone through in our individual lives as entrepreneurs, you know, leaders, then we don't necessarily identify it in a way that Mm. we understand how it comes out when we're trying to Mm. go through these very VUCA flood times. That makes sense. Have you, in your studies in, in, in creating this book and writing this book and, and in your experience with the companies you've helped, mm-hmm. do you think that we've gotten worse at dealing with our personal drama over the last mm-hmm. years? Because you do mention in your book that there's, we do have an escalation in, in depression and anxiety and, and that, that whole world of, of things. Is that, is that a result of something that you think we're doing differently as a society? Or is it because you also mentioned that mm-hmm. the world is changing at a faster pace and we may not be adapting to it as fast as we normally would in a different era? What do you right. think the, the challenge is there? I think the biggest challenge is that... so. You know, you're you're calling it out. I call it the adaptive age. Like we've gone through as human beings, we've gone through so many different eras of being farmers, and then we went into the industrial age. You know, with the advent of coal and steel, and and the fact that like basically we became a more capitalist world, mm-hmm. and then we had technology and information, and and now why I call this the adaptive age is because there's so many variables that we can't control. So that's what brings it back down to like the me and what you're saying and what you're asking is on point. I feel because that's the biggest delineation, you know, of being able to say, am I going to root it? Like, am I going to root and ground myself and who I am knowing that these variables are changing exponentially in many ways, right? Like technology, uh, AI, uh, and then these unknown factors of like pandemic recession and, and all this other stuff. So the biggest question is like, what can I control? So it's basically the adaptive age is being able to control and change what we can, but just within ourselves. And that includes, you know, mental, physical, emotional states um, and be able to embrace the fact that we can't control all the other stuff. Mm. So that's the adaptive age. That's tough though. I mean, it is super tough. Yeah. How, how do we even begin to approach that? I know you have, a, you have models, right? And mm-hmm. first of all, the models were awesome. So thank you for that. Um, you have <laughs> models Thanks. in here. And I want to talk about that because let's just dive mm-hmm. into the greenhouse model. I, I'm, I took some notes on this. You have what, how, and who, right? Mm-hmm. Can can we touch on 
Can we touch on what, how, and then who? What do you mean by the greenhouse model for for us? Mm-hmm. So I like to break things down as simple as possible just for my sake because I, <laughs> you know, we've got a million things going on and we have to think about it. So just breaking it down to the things that we can remember most and then creating behaviors out of that becomes actions and then it becomes the way of life of how we live it. Mm-hmm. So the what for companies and therefore ourselves uh, is this basically a, a pyramid of on the top is your purpose. Like what's your meaning? What's your, like, what are you doing beyond yourself? And then there's values, the values of what you believe in most as a human being. Uh, so for me, it's authenticity, uh, freedom, and relationships. And then in the middle are basically the, the ideas of the greenhouse elements and conditions and basically science of happiness that I put all in there because these are the actions that we can take on a day-to-day basis. Um, so for example, science of happiness tells us that if we have an increased level of control or autonomy, uh, progress, so we feel like we're moving, developing, and growing, and essentially connection with one another as human beings, Mm -hmm. if we increase these things from a scientific basis for our own happiness, we can actually feel that no matter what's going on in the world, that we're increasing these elements of our own fundamental happiness inside sustainably so that's the what and so so there's purpose values Mm -hmm. and these kind of like conditions and behaviors that we um we can do on a day-to-day basis the who model is a the me we community do you want to go into this right now or would you like to explore the other thing more no 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 no. let's go into that so we can get like (laughs) a an overall picture yeah, awesome. So if you can picture like the who model, so there's concentric circles. So me, we, community. Me is in the middle. We is the next one out. And then the outside one is community. So obviously we know what me is. It's ourselves, our mm-hmm. authentic selves, highs and lows. The we is our, our teams, our teams, our, our company, our functions, Basically, who do we interact with in our organization? Essentially, how do we create the best environment and conditions so that the we between my individual team, the functions that collaborate, and ultimately ladder up to the whole company, how does that look like? And then community is our customers, partners, and vendors. And now that we're in this hyper-connected society, it's everything that we touch, right? Everything in our ecosystem. Uh, So community can extend to anyone across the other side of the world because of this hyper-connectivity. So customers, partners, vendors, and ultimately society and the planet. All right. So with each one of those, which which was the me, we, and community – Mm-hmm. They each have the three levels down, 
right? And then I have to take a look at my notes on this one because yeah. um, you have a, an awesome graph. For those people that are listening in, get the book. Uh, yeah, the <laughs> higher purpose, higher purpose. You've yeah. got greenhouse condition, right? Right in the middle. Mm-hmm. And then at the bottom, values and behavior. So, and that's at every level, all three of those that are at every level. Exactly. So can you, can you touch on how the, there are, if so, possible slight changes for each one of those as we gradually go to the next one from me to we to community, or does it all remain the same? Uh, that's very perceptive into that, that matrix. So basically it's the greenhouse model matrix that I put in the book because it can be very much the same. That means you're in like in, in, in an ideal condition where everything's aligned. Mm-hmm. But reality is that most of the time <laughs> we're not aligned, right? No. Between personal self, my team, my company, and the world, we're not aligned. So the the whole exercise of that is to show it step by step, to show that the what of it, so like purpose, values, behaviors, and greenhouse conditions exist for ourselves first. Mm-hmm. And the first exercise of that is to understand like what that looks like for the self. Start with the me. And mm-hmm. then you just move on over to the we and see and identify. This is more like a mental model, you know, like yeah. jot it down, think about it, feel it and all that stuff and, and see how it looks and see what the delta points are. Because I think that's the most important, like, important part of adaptive change. Yeah. is to see and be self-aware, you know, of like, oh, this totally resonates in the lines and this totally doesn't. Mm-hmm. And then when you do that from the me to the we, and then you go to the community of customers, partners, and vendors in the global community at large, then building this mental model is just basically taking a snapshot of where you're at mm-hmm. and seeing where there's alignment and seeing where there's, you know, misalignment. And the gaps, I think for us as human beings, being able to like capture that and be able to mm-hmm. say, okay, this is good. And this is what I need to work on. This is what I need to celebrate. This is what I need to progress on mm. or grow from. I like that. You know, one, one thing that was really obvious from reading your book, which was a great part of it, and, and mm. you bring it up was this hero's journey. But I always kept mm. on going back to it as I was reading it because I was like, wait a second, this is like, this whole journey that Mm. we in essence have with ourselves. And I love that you kept on going back to me, me, right. Cause it all, in essence, it starts with you. If if you're screwed up, you know, nothing else is going to work, which is what I love. So can you take me through why you brought in the hero's journey into this and how you see it fit? Because I, I love, I actually didn't even know uh, as I was reading through it, I was like, Oh, there's something like, like this? I didn't even know it existed. So you made me dive deeper into it. So tell me uh, about that. Oh, nice. Yeah. So here's journey. Uh, so there's a dude named Joseph Campbell a long time ago. And I learned of it when I was, a, I was, I went to UC Berkeley and I, yeah, I was just trying to like <laughs> figure out what I want to do in my life. And Joseph Campbell, basically my biggest impact from him was that he brought all these different 
like thought, religions, um, people of all different cultures, and brought mm-hmm. it into the structure of what a hero could be. And a hero goes through. So think about like, what's your favorite? Um, what's your favorite epic movie? Star Wars. Okay, Star Wars. So who's the hero in that? Luke Skywalker. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. So just think about, so this this is actually kind of like a screenwriter, writer's tip uh, in terms of like how you see epic movies, whether they're Star Wars or, you know, like, I don't know, Pixar movie of Up or whatever. Mm. Basically, you follow the hero's journey. So the hero, Luke, goes through this, comes into this world, and it's not a perfect world, but he knows that he needs to do something different. And he can be complacent, but he makes a step to the right direction in terms of like, no, this is not the right world for me. So along this journey, if you can imagine like a circle circle around this journey, he meets different people along the way. And sometimes it's uh, like, who does uh, like, so who does Luke meet along the way to help him along the journey? So he starts off and then he, mm-hmm. he he's kind of a, I love telling the story now because, you know, if you haven't watched Star Wars, I don't know what <laughs> world you're in. But right. Luke starts off in Tatooine and he's with his with his uh, adoptive parents, his uncle, supposedly. And he meets up Obi-Wan Kenobi, to, mm-hmm. who then takes him under his, his wing and then he says, hey, you're more than just a kid from Tatooine. So then he kind of teaches him who he really is. So I can see that in the hero's journey, which... I didn't even know this, this hero's journey existed. So, Jen, thank you for that. That's yeah, pretty cool. It's pretty powerful. It's pretty powerful. Like so. So basically, yeah. So Luke meets a mentor along the way, and then eventually Yoda. But he also meets all these enemies, right? Like yes. Well, co- tensions and conflicts of people that are against his journey. But the point of the hero's journey, by the end of it, going through all these ups and downs of that life, of his decisions he made intentionally. And with consciousness, then he gets to the other side um, of being a different person. And the world is the same, but he changed. That's the most important part of meeting all these different people, enemies, villains, and mentors along the way. And I think that's what we're all doing right now. I think so. And, you know, as I was going deeper into that, Mm -hmm. when I was reading your book, I thought, you know, those two questions you brought up really reflect on the hero's journey and in your book, which were what's in it for me. Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then, and then in the hero's journey, I'm going to just reflect back to that one. Mm-hmm. Uh, what's in it for all, because that's what mm-hmm. happens. Let's just say that's what happens to Luke Skywalker. It's like, what's, well, what's in it for me. And then what's in it for all. And that's the exact progression you have in this, in this book, because it starts with me and then it expands to way outside the immediate community, right? You start yeah. looking global and I'm thinking like your, your outline besides it working for, for current companies right now, they're looking to make impactful changes in people's lives and in their businesses and corporations. This can this can apply to governments too. And I don't know if you had thought about that before. And probably you probably did, but I mean, the ability for a government to be able to work 
like this instead of the way that they currently work mm -hmm. could bring some drastic changes that we need in the world that we're in right now. Yeah. Uh, I appreciate you saying that because um, it's probably because you haven't got to that part in the book yet, but because <laughs> I talk about uh, applying this to, uh, so basically we did this with the government of Dubai. Oh, nice. There you go. Yeah. I'm, towards the end. I'm towards the end, Jen. Don't be mad at me. No. Don't be mad at me. There you go. All good. All good. Like, yeah. Um, yeah. So we actually did this with the government of Dubai. And so you're exactly right. So for me, it was a learning experience because I didn't think we could do this outside of corporation or companies or organizations because the controlled set of uh, variables are mm. are within us to be able to do that within companies because we own them, right? Yeah. But with society and government, it's a little bit grayer, as we know. And accountability yeah. is not really top of mind. But with the government of Dubai, it's because when you – and it, to me, this is, was the biggest learning lesson. No matter what, whether you're like for-profit, non-profit, um, government sector, or, you know, like corporation and, and capital, like you know, companies that we run, the rules are pretty much the same. At the end of the day, if leaders are really up to the challenge of wanting to answer those questions that you ask, what is it for me? What's in it for all? And I think even like if we look on the headlines today of like what the news is coming, like we can see clearly the the leaders that are all in it for just the me, not the all. And to be able to apply this across mm -hmm. it, that was one of my biggest revelations in the last few years, especially, is that it can totally apply to government. But it becomes like it really comes back down to those leaders, you know, like are they gonna own it? And I'm not saying you have to be top level position. Every one of us can be leaders in, in, in our work and our roles, you know, if we choose to be. Yeah, that's very true. And then you, you throughout the book, you mentioned that focusing on people is the key, right? Mm -hmm. Can you, can you go over purpose plus values? And this is towards the beginning of the book that you set that foundation but can you yeah. talk about that, please? Yeah, of course. So purpose and values are basically, if you can imagine like you're in a desert and you're you know, doing fine until this huge sandstorm comes and it's just like out of the blue, you feel fine. You have your water, you have your food and all that. But the sandstorm just like keeps on swirling and swirling and gets worse and worse. Purpose and values is what grounds us to just say, hunker down. It doesn't matter what's going on around us. I have myself. I have my food. I have my water. I have my purpose and values. Mm. And so by being able to identify that in like, we're not in a sandstorm, we're in life, we're in a workplace. Being so clear by actually articulating what your higher purpose is. What are you doing that's beyond yourself? And then, of course, your values of more is like, like how do you actually put that in place? And I, I mentioned this earlier, like my values, and we have this whole exercise in the book, as I think you've seen, of 
asking these really important questions within yourself. What means most? And for me, authenticity, uh, relationships, um, and being just like, yeah, connected and true to yourself. So those things, if you go through this exercise, it's really interesting because a lot of people are like, oh yeah, I've got my values down. I know mm-hmm. what I would like, you know, live and die for. But when you actually go through it, prioritize it, mm-hmm. then you get a deeper understanding of who you are. And I talk about this in the book and it's not because I was trying to be morbid, but um, you know, life and death is happening around us. And mm-hmm. when, you know, when Tony passed away, mm-hmm. it made me want to highlight even more. Like why are we here? So the questions that we were asking ourselves during COVID, I feel mm-hmm. like really exacerbated that, you know, like, like what, how am I spending my minutes of my time? Is it aligned to what I'm here for? Is it aligned to what I believe in? So the purpose and values is basically that pillar, you know, like that no matter what's going on in the world, you're just going to drive that pillar in of I'm not going to be changed. This is who I am. And it may change, you know, you may think about things and you go through life and it might uh, evolve over time, but at least put a, like draw that line in the sand of what you would live for and what you would die for. And think about like, instead of working on your resume, like work on your eulogy, like what do you want to be remembered for? You know, Steve Jobs, he had crazy, you know, his historical life of what he did, but in his eulogy, his, his uh, sister talked about what he was as a person. Mm-hmm. And I guarantee it like for everyone, like whether, you know, like a mom or dad or sister, uncle, all those things uh, that you can be in life. That's what we're going to be remembered for. Mm-hmm. And that's why purpose and values are so important to ground ourselves. All right. So I'm going to go to you on this one. Yeah. With, with 2020 through what you went through, right? And mm-hmm. then you bring up the loss of your, of your father and then a mm-hmm. uh, loss of, of Tony, right? Mm-hmm. How, uh, when you're looking in and, and you're looking in to see what your purpose and values are for you personally, what did you come up with on the other side? Was it this book? Was it something different? What, what did that mm-hmm. look like for you? Yeah. I mean, the whole process of the book was so, so like it was sold like at the beginning of 2020. I was like, oh, I got this book to write and I can write it. And then all the things that happened in 2020, like culminating <laughs> into like, you know, from the pandemic to like social unrest and then, you know, all these things. Yeah. And then Tony passed in November, um, the end of that year. So I had six weeks, five weeks out uh, when I had to finish the book uh, from the day he died. Mm-hmm. And I was just thrown into a tailspin because like there was no way like there was no way I could process all this and write finish the book at the same time yeah so it really just thrust me into a place of questioning and asking myself all these things I've been doing and saying for the last 10 years with delivering happiness 
mm-hmm. they remain true to me? You know, like I was testing myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and I like, I love being the guinea pig of my own crazy stuff. <laughs> that's so, where it starts. So that's yeah, good. it's where it starts. It's like, so in that period of time, I put myself into the ringer of what it means when, you know, I lost my dad 18 years ago. Uh, he was too young. It was heartbreaking. I mean, I still live with that today in just terms of how I deal with that. And then Tony died in a very, you know, uh, like he was young. He was like 47 years old. So like yeah. he expects to die at the time. And he, and there were so many questions, so much media of like, why did that happen? I thought he was delivering happiness. So all these things just mm-hmm. like pushing me to my ultimate test and basically asking myself if I can drink my own champagne of what I say, <laughs> <laughs> delivering happiness. Um, and it just thrust me uh, into a different place of just like, I was in a mode of, um, I don't even know if I can write this into a mode of, I know exactly what I need to write. It was really going through the process of digesting all that happened in 2020 culminating with Tony's death and pushing my own limits to substantiate or not what my own purpose and values were. And then it became clear that my purpose and values still same, like remain the same. It was the revelation that there's a great roommate quote that um, that I I think I mentioned in the book too. But basically, the cure for pain is in the pain, and I brought that into what happiness means. And I realized that the heights of my happiness, it only can happen higher and go higher if I go into the depths of the pain. And so by going mm-hmm. through that process, I realized that what it means to be happy, and therefore this book, that's why it's called Beyond Happiness. It, like that title didn't come up until the very end. Uh, after I finished writing, it was just like, well, this is Beyond Happiness. Because it's reinforcing and asking myself and being curious about, are these still my purpose and values? And after going through that ringer, I was like, hell yeah, this is. And And I feel it even more because of these reasons of being able to understand our highs and lows and being able to like embrace those feelings and therefore be better authentically within ourselves, mm-hmm. be better leaders, build bigger companies, grow and help, mm-hmm. um, you know, help, help humanity <laughs> as to where we are right now. It's such a big charter, but we all can do it. And I've seen it and I know we are doing it, but that to me was, um, yeah, very, very like substantive uh, as to where I am. Thanks for asking That's- the question. I mean, it was clear in the book. You even mentioned it. You start with me. You go through this whole process, and then you end with me, right? Mm -hmm. So, I love that you just answered it just like that, by the way. (laughs) Thank you. It wasn't by design. I didn't even know you were going to ask us that question, but yeah, it really did end with that. That's awesome. So, question for you then. Through 
through reflecting towards the end of the book, after you hear, hey, Tony, Tony just passed. Was there anything that you went back to the book and just completely changed or added that you thought you needed to add because of that? Besides the the fact that he did pass and you two were extremely close, right? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think the, I mean, I definitely, I mean, there are so many, <laughs> there are so many iterations of this book. Can you, you can imagine every like epic event that happened in 2020. <laughs> I felt like I had to, to like start rewriting it again. It's I was so like, funny. wait, this is not good enough. This is not big enough. This is not holistic enough. This is not human enough. So I think the biggest thing that I had to go back to add, because um, in some ways I was so stuck with the book in terms of like, where do I start again? And, you know, I have a team of people that, that help me and coach me. And they're like, start with the ending, Mm -hmm. start with the conclusion and go from there. And so that was the biggest ad. And the conclusion was, is like, it's, it's called the not so end. (laughs) And for me, it was, being present in that moment of like, okay, Tony's passed. Mm-hmm. We're here now in this like, you know, very different world that we need to adapt to. Mm-hmm. So I wrote the ending first. Mm. And that unlocked the rest of the book. That's awesome. It's like a fictional writer there. I love that. <laughs> Just wrote the ending it first. Became, that's awesome. Yeah. That's, that's super powerful at that point. Cause then you work up to it. Yeah. It's funny how that works now that now that you're telling me that because now I'm seeing how it all led up. Obviously, it all led up to the end, but from starting from me going through this process, right, the we community, and then going through to the global, that's really cool. Good job on that. That's that's awesome. Thanks. So, I I had one question because we we also interviewed Jim Harder. I don't know if you know Jim, but he works for Gallup. He wrote a book called Well-Being at Work. And there was one thing that you mentioned here that really reminded me of, of our conversation with him. And it's a question. It's a question to you. It's how how closely related are our work life journeys? Are they inevitably intertwined or can they ever be separated? Mm-hmm. I, yeah, I, I mean, we talked about work-life integration, like when I was consulted at the Apple, it was like back in the day, like, mm-hmm. but it, like, I, I, I think I'm taking a little bit more uh, empathy and compassion for people that just never want that, you know, like uh, we can't combine work and life. Like, I want to nine to five and then go home, be with my family, you know, mm-hmm. do my thing. And that I think is part of where we are in life in terms of like being able to understand and mm-hmm. be empathetic about some people will never want that integration. Mm-hmm. It's totally fine. But I think the reality for me and, you know, with full respect for those people that don't see the integration, I mean, like with the, with, with COVID and the pandemic and everything, like we got slapped in the face of like, look, Zoom isn't going to be here all day, all night. You can be in your closet and all, whatever. We know what you're doing. 
So that was the most physical way of saying, look, we're just basically living life. Yep. It's not work. It's not life. It's just our time on earth <laughs> as we know it. So for me, I'm just super passionate about like, why not make it the best? Why not make it the most authentic, integrated way we can by number one, again, being true to our authentic selves, starting with the me, like grounding our purpose and values, and then letting that decide how we live our time, our minutes in the day. So that's my opinion, but I know a lot of people are just like, mm. Hey, I'm going to take it as fact because I agree with you. Okay. <laughs> so, so there you go. Two people, two people in the world agree. It's fact. <laughs> done. Done. Uh, anyway, that was a really good answer. I love it. And for everybody listening in, please pick up the book as well. And where, where would somebody go and typically follow you? Do you do social media? Yeah. Uh, so we launched a, a, a website for the book. It's just jenlim.com. Uh, so J-E-N-N-L-I-M.com. And then I'm on social media. It's at by Jenlim. Perfect. I, I'm about to follow you right now. Nice. I'll follow you back. Thanks for being on. We appreciate you. Uh, I noticed that in your background, for those of you that are tuning in podcast wise, uh, <laughs> She's got a cute little yeah. uh, little sign that says, uh, well, you got the little sign, the yellow sign that's uh, winking at me with a happy face. I love that one. And yeah. does, what is it? Does running out of champagne count as cardio? <laughs> right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Yes. I love that one. And then we saw a baby Yoda, which we like uh, plus brownie points for you on that. So, <laughs> I mean, how can you not go around with the baby Yoda around <laughs> all the time? That's very funny. Well, thanks for being on, Jenna. We appreciate you. Thank you so much. I love your questions and I love your presence. So thank you. Thank you, everyone. Those are all the brilliant thoughts that we have for you today. If you like what you're hearing, drop us a review or just tell your friends. This has been a success podcast. Head to success.com slash podcast to hear more just like it.